Well, for those of us who have not had the privilege of meeting, like Dave said, my name is Grant. My wife and I, Maria, just moved here from Kannapolis. We've been here a little bit under two months, and it has been a great joy uh, thus far. A few days ago, while I was casually scrolling social media, checking it as I often do at the end of nights, I came across an old friend, might want to consider him more of an acquaintance that I had in college. I knew this person at one time, at least on the surface, appeared to be someone who was really zealous for God, really wanted to make his name great and his gospel known. On the surface, it appeared like he really loved Jesus, but I also knew that he had a passion for entrepreneurship, marketing, business, and finance. And those things don't have to be at odds with the gospel, but in this friend's uh, case, it became that. I watched in this video as he bragged and boasted about all the money that he had made, all of the fancy treasures that he has amassed, all while sitting in a bungalow in Bali. And as I listened to him talk about how successful he is, the more he shared this great amass of wealth that he had gained, the more I felt sorry for him. This person, who once seemed zealous for God, showed himself to actually be zealous for the world and its goods. This person, who had once been married to a godly woman, was now divorced from her, all before age 27. And as he defines success in a post, all alone in a bungalow in Bali, here's what he says in this post as he defines success. He writes, or says, there is nothing to accomplish beyond yourself. Your focus in life should be to develop and enjoy existence. That, to me, is success ultimate success. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? You see, in this person's mad race for materialism, he had lost perhaps or robbed himself of the greatest immaterial reality being his soul. For amassing all this great treasure, he had lost or perhaps never had the greatest treasure, Christ. The title of my message tonight is the truth on treasure. The truth on treasure. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Now, beloved, I have some good news and some bad news as we embark on this journey together tonight. The good news is that this text is not addressing how much money you have, but how uh, much your money has you. And don't worry, we're gonna get to the text here in a second and read together. The bad news is that Because of this, some of us may be tempted to turn our ears off and harden our heart because we believe there's nothing this text has to say to us. The main point of this text is a heart that treasures Christ cannot treasure this world. A heart that treasures Christ cannot treasure this world. In other words, you can treasure this world or you can treasure Christ, but you cannot treasure both. You can treasure this world, or you can treasure Christ, but you cannot treasure both. I want to read the text together, and then I want to show you three cautions our Lord gives from the text tonight as we uh, read together. So if you're there with me in your copy of God's Word, Matthew 6, we're going to start in verses 19 and read to verse 24. 
Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would speak to your people tonight through it. Father, that just as Paul comes in 1 Corinthians 2, not displaying a spirit of, uh, of, of eloquence or wisdom, but to display your spirit's power, Father, I pray that that would be the case for this time tonight. Father, reveal ugliness in each of our hearts and reveal ways, Lord, that we can apply these truths to our lives in very practical and palatable ways. We thank you for your word. We pray that we would not leave here the same the way that we walked in. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. Three cautions the Lord gives us tonight in this text. The first one is right there in verses 19 through 21. The first caution is, be careful where you store your treasure. Be careful where you store your treasure. Jesus in this text is going to do something that he has been doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount specifically what Heath talked about last week with fasting, what uh, others have talked about before with prayer, giving. Namely, he's going to give us an imperative, a command, and he's going to do so in two ways, through a negative and through the positive. Uh, Here, if you look at the text in verse 19, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. There are two evident issues that Jesus addresses in storing our treasures. The first is the problem of ruin, and the second is the problem of robbery. The Lord knows that in this culture, clothing was currency. Clothing was a big deal to the the people in the first century in Israel. It was not only a way to store their wealth, oftentimes they would embroider gold or silver actually into their clothing, it was also a way to display wealth. Clothing was currency. In fact, in Judges 14, Samson is going to wager with the Philistines 30 pieces of linen clothing on the wager if they can solve his riddle about the lion. It was common in the first century to accumulate goods and clothing and store them up in storehouses or barns. And depending on where people stored their treasure, there could be great danger that in this case comes from a very small source. It's right there in your text. A moth. Jesus is pulling our attention to see what a great mass of stored treasure can be destroyed and brought to ruin by such a small thing as a moth. In essence, the Lord is giving us a very practical warning tonight. If your treasure is in the cloth, all it takes is a moth. Rust works to illustrate this well. Someone once said, as iron is consumed by rust, so are we given over to monetary lust. Rust, likewise a moth, it's very small. 
and it eats away and it corrodes. And the Lord is talking about the nature of our soul if it's given over to materialism. It doesn't happen overnight. No one wakes up and says, man, I really want to be materialistic today. It's something that sneaks up on us, isn't it? It takes over our lives. But it isn't just the problem of ruin that Jesus addresses in the text. It's also the problem of robbery. You see, if a moth doesn't get to your clothing first or rust, well, guess what? There are others in the picture with greedy hands who would desire to have those things that you have. In the first century, homes were often constructed out of clay and the walls would be constructed out of clay as well. So what Jesus literally means in this text is that you could literally dig up, dig through, or dig in to a home to get what you might want inside. Well, it's simple then, right? Just don't store your treasures inside. If your bank account's in the barn, put it in somewhere better. You might be sitting here tonight, maybe like I was when I'm studying this text, and questioning yourself, well, Grant, we don't live in the first century anymore. We don't have to store up our treasures in a barn or in the ground. We can store up our treasures in a bank account, in a a 401k, in the stock market, on Wall Street. Beloved, don't miss the point of the text. The point of the text is not where you store your treasures, but what you treasure in the first place. And what you treasure will dictate where you store it up. Friends, can I tell you something great about heaven? There are no moths. There, are, there is no rust. There's no rodents. There's no thieves. There's no security issue in heaven. Nothing will wear down or wear out. And this is where the Lord would have us stop and pause and consider and do some reflection. What does it mean to store up, if we're not supposed to store up treasures on this earth, what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? Well, oftentimes you might think, well, that means I need to share the gospel with others so that they might come to believe in Jesus and therefore their souls will be stored up in heaven. And that could be possibly what it means. But we need look no further, beloved, than this very sermon that Jesus has been preaching over the last uh, several uh, weeks that we've been studying. Look back, for example, in verse five, or in chapter five, we might see opportunities here to store up our treasures in heaven through obedience to Jesus' commands. Maybe obedience looks like being the salt of the earth or the light of the world there in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Uh, Maybe it looks like obeying the Beatitudes, being poor in spirit or being meek or hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You see, it isn't just in evangelism that we store up our treasures in heaven, but by being obedient to Jesus who has saved us and redeemed us and called us his own. The Lord would have us stop as he adds that conclusion in the verse, end of verse 21, and he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So friends, let me ask you tonight, where is your treasure? Because where your treasure is, Jesus says, that's where your heart is as well. You see, the text is not addressing how much stuff we have, what it's worth, or where it is. The text is addressing how much it really matters to us. In other words, this text isn't addressing our wallets. It isn't addressing our bank account. It's addressing our heart. Remember that a heart that treasures Christ cannot treasure this world. But friends, it isn't just where we store our treasure, but if you look in verses 22 and 23, it's also how we see our treasure. 
The second caution Jesus gives us is be careful how you see your treasure. And Jesus is going to give us this really, maybe at the start, a confusing illustration. If you look at Matthew 6, verse 22 and 23, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. What does this mean? Well, it's actually quite simple. There's light in this room. That's how you're able to see. And the light goes into your eyes. You analyze it, and then you synthesize it for life. That's why you're able to walk down this aisle. That's why you're able to see the rise and elevation as you go. That's why you don't bump your knee on the pew or stub your toe. Our, our eyes work when they take in light and they're able to understand and see things and analyze things. However, if your eye isn't working, even though there's light around the rest of your body, if your eye doesn't take in light, then you are in complete darkness. It's what we call blindness. That's what Jesus is talking about in this text. So even if you're surrounded by light, if it doesn't enter in through your eye, there's a sense in which no other part of your body can take in the light. You're blinded. You see, Jesus uses figurative language here to speak about how we evaluate our treasures. The metaphor of the eye addresses how we see things and evaluate things in our life. Jesus says that there's a sanctified way of seeing your treasures, and there's also a sinful, distorted, blinded way of seeing our treasures as well. Jesus essentially asks us in verses 22 and 23, how do you see your stuff? What is your viewpoint on your valuables? What, how do you perceive of your possessions? Is your eye healthy or is it unhealthy? Beloved, a right perspective on our possessions leads to the proper use of those possessions. Remember, as we talk through this subject, money itself isn't the problem. The love of money is the root of the issue. The text, once again, is not addressing how much money you have, but how much your money and my money has us. The Bible has plenty of examples of poor Christians who brought glory to God, such as the widow who gave everything in her temple offering in Mark 12, as well as someone like John the Baptist in Matthew 3. It also has examples of wealthy Christians who bought, brought God glory through their lives, uh, believers such as Lydia and Barnabas, and before them, even in the Old Testament, believers like Job and Abraham. So it isn't about how much money you have, but about how you see what you have. A pastor was in a room one time with 200 other pastors, and um, the speaker up on the stage asked the question, uh, he asked the question, is it possible for a person to build a house so large that it's sinful in the eyes of God? Raise your hand if you think so. 200 pastors raised their hand in the room. We believe that it's possible to build a house so big that it's sinful to God. Well, then the pastor, the keynote speaker asks, can you tell me at exactly what size and square footage where the house becomes sinful to live in? You could have heard a pin drop absolute silence until one man in the very back of the room raises his hand up and says, easy, when that house is bigger than mine. Having or not having money isn't what Jesus is addressing. He's addressing how we see what we have and furthermore, what we do with it. J.C. Ryle was once quoted to have said this, 
It is possible to love money without having it. Um, possible to have money without loving it. Money and truth is the most unsatisfying of possessions. It takes away many cares, no doubt, but creates many cares by having it. So once again, how do you see your treasure? Be careful where you store your treasure. Be careful how you see your treasure. And lastly, be careful, beloved, that you don't serve your treasure. That's the third caution we see in the text in verse 24. Be careful you don't serve your treasure. If you look back at the last part of that thought unit, verse 24, Jesus uses logic and he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is logic. Just like I can't at one point be walking one way and at the same time be walking the other way. It's either one or the other. There's a popular lie in our culture, friends, that tells us just the opposite of this verse that we can serve God and serve money. And when I say serve, I'm saying orient our lives in such a way to please towards that end. I can, I can orient my life to please my wallet and my bank account and my 401k, or I can live in such a way to orient and please my father in heaven who loved me and gave himself for me. That, that's what Jesus is getting at in the text. And popular preachers today in the prosperity gospel would, would have us believe that by obeying God, or by, by loving God, he actually wants to give us great swords of treasure and wealth that we can serve both. But the truth is that we cannot serve God in money. Either Christ is our master or money is our master. Isn't this what Jesus confronts the rich young ruler about? Jesus says to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. When the young man heard this, however, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Isn't this present in Paul's discourse with Demas before he's beheaded in 2 Timothy 4? Paul writes, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas, once called a partner of Paul in Colossians 4 and Philemon 24, had now become a prisoner to this world and its goods. Friends, as we close, you cannot serve God in money, but you can serve God with money. As we close, I want to pr propose just a few questions to think about. These were convicting to me as I studied this week. Here's several questions we can think about as we leave. Do I spend more time thinking about what money can do for me versus what I can do for God with my money? Do I consistently pay bills but sporadically give to the Lord? Do I have financial goals but I don't have spiritual goals? Do I invest time and energy and work and family and recreation, but make no investment of time, energy, or effort into the family of God? If I receive a year-end bonus or salary increase, will it increase my standard of living or my level of giving? Is my online banking program designed to make monthly deposits and payments to creditors, but nothing planned for the church? In other words, I'll give when I feel like it. When's the last time I've given something away 
that I would have preferred to keep for myself? What's my attitude or response when I see a homeless person begging on the street? Is a charitable gift, lastly, designed into my will? Or is all of my treasures and estates being handed down to my heirs? Friends, we cannot serve God in money, but we can serve God with our money. And what is this motivation? Well, we have to root it back in the gospel. Friends, our motivation for giving is our master who gave himself for us. Christ Jesus came down from the glories of heaven and took on the lowliness of flesh. And he lived a sinless life. And he was beaten and he was mocked and he was crucified all and laid on the cross dying so that in him we might have life through his resurrection. What a treasure, what a prize that Christ would come down to lay down his life for us. Jesus invested everything into the glory of the Father and making a way for salvation for you and I. When we give to God, friends, we are not giving out of our own possessions, but out of what God has entrusted to us. It's his, it isn't ours. And my prayer for you, likewise for myself, is that we would be found faithful in the area of our finances. We give everything to our master because church, he gave everything for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that the seeds planted tonight by your word would produce godly, enduring fruit. Father, my fear in my own life, as well as for many of us here and across this country, even in Christian circles, God, is that money may have a bigger hold in our heart than we may like to realize. And Father, as this prickly subject is approached tonight, Lord, may you prick our hearts in such a way where we bleed gospel we bleed the fruits of those who have been given over to your son Jesus, who have been redeemed and sanctified by the blood of the lamb, that we might want to give out of what you've given to us because of how good you are. Father, we love you, and we pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen.